It is good to have you with us today. If you've already gotten comfy again, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Today the reading is from Psalm 22, 1 to 11. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praise of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted you, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He who trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Oh, man. Who picked that scripture uh, for our message this morning in the Grinch? Uh, it's kind of, a, kind of a dark passage, isn't it? Uh, especially for the Sunday before Christmas. And yet it has profound implications on why we gather and why we celebrate this holiday season. Let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll jump in to these words. Father, we are grateful for your word. Uh, even passages like this that are hard, that are dark, that expose the rawest emotions that we as humans sometimes feel as if you've actually abandoned us. And so, God, I pray that even in the midst of our wrestlings this morning, that you'd be near to us. God, I pray that you'd give us hope in the midst of all of these things, for we trust in you, Lord Jesus. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Why do we celebrate Christmas? Now, I realize some of you are probably even just like almost offended at the question, like outraged. Like, how could we, how could we do anything else, right? It's, it's Jesus' birthday for his sake, right? It was like, you're kind of like, of course we celebrate, right? But, and I'm, I'm with you, like I have no desire to abolish Christmas. Okay, this is, not a, this is not an anti-Christmas message by any means. But Christmas is a relatively new holiday. Do you know that? Especially in America. We've, we've really only celebrated as Americans since the mid-19th century, so mid-1800s, give or take. Maybe you're thinking, well, come on, Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. Is that possibly true? It's like, well, actually, kind of. Let me, give, let me give just a little bit of history. So there's no evidence of anyone celebrating Christmas until the 4th century AD. So it was, it was about 300 years after Jesus' first birthday that people began to, to celebrate. We celebrated, as Christians, we celebrated Easter right away, Okay. Uh, but we didn't, we didn't know exactly when Jesus was born, right? And so it was 300 years past. It was in the 4th century. Uh, Pope Julius declared December 25th as the Christ Mass. So Mass meaning church service, right? The church service dedicated to the birth of Jesus. Christ Mass, Christmas. Some of you are like, whoa, is that what? Yeah, that's, that's where we get it, right? That's where we get it. Now, it's commonly believed, though, that he picked this day uh, to sort of either compete with or absorb the pagan uh, celebrations around that culture uh, for the winter solstice. 
So the winter solstice had been celebrated for centuries by all kinds of different cultures. And let's, let's be honest, uh, winter is cold, dark, and lonely. It needs a holiday, right? It needs a holiday. And so Pope Julius is like, let's, let's do it. Let's do it December 25th. Let's make that our day. So Christmas was seen as a, as a way in the 4th century to bring a little bit of, of light uh, into a dark world, to redeem some of those pagan rituals, and to make it what it is for us today. Although... So that was, again, that was, you know, 300s, 400s, right there, 4th century. Uh, By the Middle Ages, so a thousand years later, uh, Christmas had divulged into a day of hedonistic debauchery. So I'm picturing something like Monty Python, right? Um, That's kind of the image I have. According to to one source, again, Middle Ages, on Christmas, believers attended church, you know, the Christ Mass, then celebrated raucously in a drunken, carnival-like atmosphere similar to today's Mardi Gras. Glad none of us do that, right? Right? Okay, so then, then the Reformation happened, right? Uh, with many attempts to reform the church, to purify uh, the church. And so Christmas was one of those things that was, again, sort of reevaluated for obvious reasons, because of the ways that it was being abused. Oliver Cromwell, actually, uh, tried to abolish it in England in 1645, Tried to say, no more Christmas, we're not doing that anymore, right? He tried to get rid of it. Uh, and the pilgrims, right, who came to the New World, were hesitant to bring Christmas with them. Again, because of all these abuses. In fact, the celebration of Christmas was outlawed in Boston from 1659 to 1681. You could actually be fined if you were caught celebrating Christmas. And some say, it wasn't until the 19th century that Americans began to embrace Christmas. Americans reinvented Christmas and changed it from a raucous carnival holiday into a family-centered day of peace and nostalgia. And it was finally declared a federal holiday in 1870. So that that question, why, why do we celebrate Christmas... It's a good one, right? It's not as easy as saying, well, we Christians have always celebrated Jesus' birthday. We we really haven't, actually. It's a good question. And some of you might still be asking, why do we do this to ourselves every December, right? Maybe maybe you ask that because it, once again, feels a little bit like a raucous carnival celebration, right? Or, Or maybe because of the materialism or how exhausting it is or whatever, or maybe, maybe you're asking why. Why do we do this to ourselves every year? Because there's, there's heartache around it for you. And, and many of us come to that. Like Christmas reminds us of, of the empty chairs around the table, doesn't it? Or, or the chairs that were never filled. Or the way, the way things used to be, right? Why do, we, why do we do this to ourselves? For others of you, maybe it's a reminder of your lack and you wish that you could do more around the holiday season. Or maybe for others, it's a reminder of your plenty, And under your tree, it is very full, and yet you know that it's not going to satisfy you, right? And we watch as our kids get more and more spoiled, right? Me too, I get it. Or maybe you wait until January to ask why when you get the credit card statement, right? For some, for some, Christmas heightens our own sense of loneliness, sadness, or pain. Why do we do this to ourselves every December? And that, that question, why, is actually one of the most human questions, isn't it? 
we, we love to ask why. We want to understand things. It's one of the most human questions. It can also be one of the most painful, if you think about it, and, and most unanswerable. And I'm not just talking about why Christmas, but like why everything. Some of you have some big whys in your life. Like, why did, why did this relationship have to end? Why did this past year have to be so hard? Why, why do I still feel so alone? In fact, just this, just this past week, I received an email from, from somebody here. They gave me permission to share this. It said in the email, over the past 20 years or so, I have looked for a why. Someone to blame regarding the disease. 20 years is a long time to look for a why. And what makes it harder still is what answer could possibly satisfy you. I mean, we want to know why, especially like the big things, the hard things, the most brutal things that we experience in our life. We ask the question why, but like just think of what, what answer could possibly make it okay. Like God says to you, well, this is, this is why. Oh, thank you, God. That clears everything up for me, right? Not for the hardest things, not for the most painful things. And the hardest why of all is right where this psalm begins. And so if you haven't already, turn to, turn to Psalm 22. Because this Advent, we're, we're looking at the Psalms, where they give us a picture of God's ideal king, right? That's, that's ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. But Psalm 22 is one of the darkest Psalms. It's a hard one. And it begins with the hardest why of all. Because for the, for, the for the person of faith, the hardest why is not why, why am I sick or why did this person get sick or why did this relationship have to end or why did I lose my job? And it's not minimizing those things. Those things, are, those things are part of it. It's not less than those things. But for the person who trusts in God, it's in the midst of all of those things, right? The hardest moments of your life, when on top of everything else, you are also convinced that God has abandoned you. The one you've trusted it's not, it's not just the hard things around you. It's that God himself has forsaken you. Have you ever felt that way? So did the psalmist, verse one. Verse one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Like, notice, notice there, he doesn't say, God, where are you? Where have you been, right? Or, God, I need, a, I need a little help right now. No, that's not, David jumps right to the punch, doesn't he? It's not, have you forsaken me? It's, why have you forsaken me? Like, it's, it's an accusation. Now, this, this might make some of us uncomfortable, Right? But to me, this is, this is one of the most compelling things about the Bible and the Christian faith, in my opinion. That not only are we allowed to bring such complaints to God, but that God actually gives us the words to do so in his holy book. Like, he shows us how to do this. Like, hey, if, you, if you're really mad at me, if you feel like I've, I've completely messed up your life, like, or abandoned you, you can bring it to me. And let me, sh- let me show you even and so if you, if you feel abandoned by God, tell him. David did. What, what other faith is so honest? What other God can handle our rawest emotions but ours? 
And when we, when we read the Psalms, and this is, this is true not just in Psalm 22, but th- throughout many of them, God shows us how to bring even our hardest whys to him. But please don't, don't miss this. This is, this is really important because David doesn't say, God has forsaken me. He doesn't, he doesn't spiral into self-talk about how terrible God has been to him. Like even, even in his accusations, he steps toward God, not away from him. Like don't, don't miss that. It's really important. He talks to God, not about God. Are you with me? It might sound like a very small distinction, but it's really important. He brings these things to God. He's not just blabbing about God. Anybody can talk about God, right? Christians, Christian lament talks to God. David refers to God three times in these opening verses as my God. Do you see the intimacy, right? Like even, even while he feels abandoned, David is taking a step toward God. But it hurts. And some of, you know, some of you know what it feels like. John Stott, writing about this psalm, says his greatest, David's greatest suffering, is neither the physical pain nor the mockery of his persecutors, but his sense of God-forsakenness. There's nothing more personal, more painful for the person of faith. And at Christmas, it almost feels worse, right? Because we, we sing about Emmanuel, we talk about Emmanuel, we know it means God with us. God has come here to rescue us. But where is he? Well, as David continues this psalm, there are three things here that David looks to that almost seem to make his, his sense of abandonment even worse. Okay, so we're going to get... We're going to get darker before we get lighter, okay? But we'll get there, okay? But, but look what he does. So first, first he, he says this big complaint, God, why have you forsaken me? My God, why have you forsaken me? But then he, the, he looks to the past to see if he can find a little hope. So verse, verse 4, and you are fathers, so our forefathers, like in, in history, right? In, in, the, in the scriptures, the Old Testament. And you are fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. And so maybe, maybe you've done this, right? As you've read the Bible or maybe you've looked at the experience of others. God, I know you can fix it. Like I've, I've seen you do it for them. I've read about it here in your book. Why won't you do it for me? And then second, he looks, he looks at the people around him who just mock him for his faith, right? For trusting, you idiot, God's not going to help you. Like, that's basically the idea. Verse, verse 7, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And then third, as if that's not enough, he, he looks at his own history personally. Basically, he says, God, there's never been a time in my life when I've not trusted you, when I've, when I've not sought after you. And this, this is how you repay me? Verse 9. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. 
You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. And then for the next ten verses, we won't go through all of those, right? It's a lot here. But for the next ten verses, he basically just describes how bad it is. Thing after thing after thing, right? It's, it's like animals are attacking him, right? It's, it's inhuman what he's experiencing. He feels like he's being poured out like water and there's nothing left. That, is, that his heart is melting within him. That is, his hands and feet have been pierced. His garments, like even his clothing, has been divided up and people cast lots for his clothes. And if you're paying attention as this psalm continues, you might be thinking, wait, what? Who is is David talking about here? Because actually scholars scholars ask the, the same question. Even though David is the author, there's nothing in David's life that really fits the extreme nature of this suffering. It doesn't really sound like David. Who does it sound like? Well, it actually sounds a lot like one of David's great, 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 great grandsons who lived a thousand years later. And in fact, all the gospel writers pick up on this. All all four of them use Psalm 22 to describe Jesus. They use this this psalm. They say, no, this is actually, if you want to know who it's about, it's about, it's about Jesus. That he's surrounded and mocked pierced and afflicted, poured out like water, clothes gambled over, crucified. And even Jesus himself while hanging on the cross, what is his first cry? It's from Psalm 22. And I believe right here, right, right here in this passage, this is, this is where we find God's answer to our every why. Even, even your hardest why. Whatever, whatever it is, and he doesn't answer our why by telling us why. Sorry to disappoint. If you're, if you're asking why, you may be waiting for a very, very long time. God answers our why with a who. God's response to our greatest why is to give us the greatest who? And his name is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And so even as we fast forward a thousand years in this story, right, I can, I can imagine Jesus laying there in the manger in Bethlehem. It's five miles away from Jerusalem and the cross. Five miles and 33 years. But this is, this is why he came. And I imagine, I imagine Jesus as a child, maybe... As a young child, as a teenager, a young adult, I don't, I don't know, all throughout that, singing this song. He would have certainly sung this song, right? This was, this was their hymn book. Like, these are, the, these are the psalms that they went to, and I just can't help but wonder, like, at what point did Jesus begin to ask, like, who is this about? Or when, when did he realize it was about him? Or maybe, did he always know? I don't, I don't, there's so much mystery there. But I picture him singing it, for this is, this is why he came. And I imagine Jesus on a cross, betrayed by Judas, 
denied by Peter, abandoned by pretty much everyone, rejected by the people he came to save, excruciating physical pain, our man of sorrows, our suffering servant. And his, his first cry on the cross, right? It's the, it's the first line from this psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And his, his final cry, the last thing Jesus says on the cross, it is finished, he says. Which is, which is remarkably similar to how this psalm ends, actually. Praising God and spreading the word that he has done it. That's how it builds. That rescue has been accomplished, that God has not abandoned us, that salvation is near. And church, if you take one thing with you today, I hope, I hope this is, even if, even if you're in that place asking why, why do we do this every year? Why do, we, why do we continue to celebrate? Why do we drudge up those feelings maybe of loss or loneliness? Whatever, whatever you bring to the table today. If there's one truth that keeps you company this holiday season, I hope it's this. You need a who more than you need a why. It doesn't feel that way sometimes. But you need a who more than you ever need a why. Because why will never satisfy you? I mean, how, how could it? What, what answer could God possibly give that would make any of the pain we humans experience somehow okay? In fact, Mary Ann Studeman writes, she says, eventually I gave up trying. Life has taught me that searching for the why behind our suffering is like trying to fit an elephant onto the head of a pin for the purpose of balancing my checkbook. It's impossible to do, and even if I could, it wouldn't help me in the slightest. So why bother? Instead of dwelling on why, friends, we need to run to our who. Because it is, it is in him that we can actually know a few of the answers that we crave. Not all of them, but a, a few. For, for example, when, when junk happens, right? when, when messes pile up upon us, sometimes we ask, like, God, are you mad at me? Like, do I, do I deserve this? Is this? Are you punishing me in this space? But when we look at Jesus, right, he says, it is finished. He has done it. He does not give us what our sins deserve. And so be, because of Jesus, if you're a Christian, the, the why, the answer is never that God is mad at you. That, 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 if you're a follower of Jesus, that will never be the answer to that question, why? Nor, nor is it that he's abandoned you. Because Jesus actually was abandoned. Think about that. That his father actually turned his back on his son on the cross as, as Jesus bore all of his shame for our sins. That Jesus really, truly was abandoned when he cried out, why have you forsaken me? And he was abandoned so that we will never be, you and I. And this, this incredible act of love means that, that no matter what, like if, whatever it is, it's not a lack of love from Jesus. It's not that he's walked out of the room on us. Whenever we ask why, it's never that he's walked away or that he doesn't love you. Sometimes we wonder if our suffering is meaningless, right? So we ask why. But if Jesus rose from the grave, then nothing is meaningless. Everything is now imbued with a a kind of, of meaning of significance through the empty grave. And his highest goal for us is not that we would live a comfortable, safe, easy life. It's that we'd be like him, and he will do whatever it takes to accomplish it. 
And through it all, Christmas means he's with you in it. Dr. Julia Sadesky, when she was with us uh, last month, I guess, uh, she said the God of the universe stepped into a body with limitations and he joins you in your suffering. That he's, he's with you there now and he will never leave you. And sometimes I think if we're honest with ourselves, what we need most is just to know we're not alone. You need a who more than you could ever need a why. And we have one. His name, his name is Jesus. And so what, is, what does the psalmist do next? As dark as the psalm is, like it's, it's actually puzzling how it ends because he erupts in praise. And he tells all of his friends, like, this is who our God is. Look at, look at verse 21. It says, you have rescued me. And verse, verse 24, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. And then verse 27, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. And then finally, verse 30, posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. That he has done it. That it is finished. He worships. And he, and he spreads the word. And maybe, maybe some of you are ready to do that right now. And we will. We're going we're gonna to sing. We're going to respond with communion and all of those kinds of things. Right? We'll do that in a few minutes. But I'm guessing not all of us are there. Right? Some of us maybe are still stuck in verse 1, asking God, have you left me? Why have you left me, right? And, and whether, whether it's the experience of Christmas or just all the other things going on in your life right now, I mean, this, this time of year, it can be very difficult, right? We feel all this pressure to be happy. And we know that God has come. We believe that he's with us. And yet maybe you still feel so alone. Have you told him? You don't have to sugarcoat it. You don't have to pretend it's not true. You don't have to hide it or make sure you use just the right words. All you have to do is bring it to him. He can take it. He took it from David, and he took it on the cross, and he can bear it from you. Back in 2020, it was a good year, right, people? So good. So we all got along, and everything went so smoothly, and life was, it was a great time to be alive. Now, it was actually kind of a pain, right? We remember. It was, it was not great. And I just, I remember, I don't even remember the circumstance, but I remember it was a month or a week or whatever it was. It was just this period of time. I have no idea. I really don't remember. Where it just felt like everything was falling apart. Around me, within me, it was just kind of a mess. And, and then one more thing happened. It was so small. It was ridiculous, but it, it kind of destroyed me. And I, again, I don't even remember the context, but I remember I could picture where I was. I was outside, and it, it happened, and all of us, I looked up at heaven, stopped what I was doing, and before I even knew what I was saying, I blurted out the words, God, do you hate me? Like, is that, is that what this is right now? And maybe, maybe that shocks you. Frankly, it shocked me a little bit when I heard those words coming out of my mouth. But also opened up a door. I just, I unloaded I didn't even know I'd been holding back. But I told, I told him everything I was feeling in that moment. And, and instead, of, instead of hearing, Nathan, you shouldn't feel this way, or at least like bury it down deep within, don't tell me all that stuff, right? 
Instead of that, it felt, it felt like he was opening wide his arms to me. And it was almost as if I could hear him whisper, Nathan, I know it's been hard. Tell me all about it. And we're going we're gonna to try to do a little bit of that right now. Or at least, at least get that process started. There, there are note cards under your chair. Just, just grab one. Again, some of you, this is not for you. It's okay. You don't have to do this if you don't want to participate. But I, I want to think about it right now to start this process of telling him how you feel. Not how you should feel or how you want to feel, but how you actually feel. God can take it. Maybe it's a question like, why do I feel so sad? Why, why am I still so alone? Why did she get sick? Why haven't we gotten pregnant? Why can't I get over this sin? Whatever, whatever it is, we're going to write out our whys. Now, if you're, not, if you're not at a place of asking why, which is some of us, and praise God for that. If, I, if you're here and you're, you're, you're good, right? You're not asking why. Praise God for that. And maybe literally just write out a word of praise, a thanksgiving to God. Thank him for that. But regardless, let's all start with the same two words that David uses and the same two words that Jesus uses on the cross. Start by writing, my God, and then finish that thought. My God, why, blank. Or my God, thank you, blank. Let's take, let's take a minute now to do that, uh, and then I'll close us in prayer. Let's start that process now. Write, the, write some notes. Lord Jesus, we give you all of our whys. For we would rather have you than any answer you could possibly give. Remind us of that. And thank you that because of Christmas, we do have you, that you have come. And that you, you know what it's like to walk in our shoes, to, to know the, the pain, the loss, whatever, whatever it is we're feeling. You know what it's like to ask God why. And we're grateful for that that we have a Savior who sympathizes with our weakness and that you invite us to yourself and that you have made a way through the cross and through the empty tomb. And so, Lord Jesus, we give you thanks and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we, as we come now to the table, uh, if, you need, if you need more time with your cards, take them home with you and you know, use that as a, as a place to process. That's, that's totally fine. 
but if, if you're ready and if you feel comfortable, take your card to the communion table, your why, and, and leave it there. There, there are baskets uh, around those, those spots, and you, you can do that. Trade your why and receive our who in that moment. Because more than answers, what we need is God's presence. From the night that Jesus was betrayed. And like, even just let that sink in. We say it every week. On the night that he was betrayed, by, by everyone who he had spent the last three years caring for, right? Betrayed by Judas, denied by Peter, Abandoned by his friends, rejected by everyone, right? And crucified. And the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is, this is my blood poured out for you. Poured out for the forgiveness of all of our sins. Do this in remembrance of me. We have s- several stations around this room where you can do this. If you're new here, you just, we're going to kind of form lines and make our way to one of those, one of those spots. There's a couple up here as well. Um, we'll gather you in groups of five or six or seven. This is something we do together as a family. You'll take the bread, dip it in the cup, and then eat together. The Lord Jesus invites all who are his to please come.